Big problems can be solved when smart minds and good hearts get together. Being exposed to a connected network of diverse voices, opinions and characteristics can truly expand one's ability to get an accurate picture of the environment and to make the best decisions for self and organization. This podcast brings together an ecosystem of next practice innovators and influencers to talk about the leadership practices required to shape a better connected and safer world. Welcome to Inspire Next Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Ertl. This is our second series titled Turning the Tide. Here we are going to discover how leaders can turn the tide when macro trends are against them by leading through innovation and rethinking well-established norms. This week we are joined by Matthias Benz. Prior to October 2020, Matthias led the commercial organization as chief commercial officer of a global technology company that supplies systems for passenger cars, commercial vehicles and industrial technology. During his tenure, he worked in the USA, China and Europe and has seen the company grow from 30,000 employees to 150,000 employees. Since October 2020, Matthias is CEO of a 2 billion euro company that is scaling its growth. We know Matthias as a leader who is never complacent and drives positively disruptive next practices. In this episode, Serene Zhang asks Matthias Benz to share his personal account on why it is important for established companies to rethink how much of what they did well in the past will apply for the future. We felt that his personal account will be especially interesting as he has experienced the growth journey of a company and is now leading the next one. Good morning, Matthias. Good morning in Vienna. Good morning, Serene. Thank you. We're really delighted to have you here. I remember the last time we spoke on the topic about being brave to create positive disruption through questioning. So here we are now bringing you to the show to ask the question on why should big and established organizations rethink. But first, Matthias, let's start by having you introduce to us your experience in being part of a company's growth journey. I will, I'm delighted to do this. Good morning, Serene. Um, my experience in being part of growth journey was incredible. I had the privilege of working with one of the largest tier one automotive suppliers for the last 20 years. And I had the privilege to grow with this organization. When I started, we were about 28,000 associates and the company grew to more than 150,000 associates or in, in sales, we grew from 5 billion to 35 billion. Wow. And uh, that journey was not only a journey of size, it was also a technology journey. Um, we grew from being a purely mechanical manufacturing company to a software CPU and um, a company that offers functions and uh, sophisticated electronic equipment. So both in size as much as in depth and technology, I could witness the development of the organization. Right, and can you share with us like the time frame, the timeline of this uh, tremendous evolution, not just in size, but as you mentioned in technology as well? This was over a time period of 20, 23 years, um, from the very humble beginnings uh, to today. This growth was marked by major acquisitions, um, one of the biggest acquisitions five years ago. And it also changed the company from a, well, let's say, international company based in Germany to a multinational company operating 220 plus production sites. Um, in pretty much every major market of the world. 
Matthias, you share with us your journey of growth in your organization and you mentioned it's not just of size but also of technology and I assume of uh, business directions as well. Share with us throughout that journey, how many times have you got uh, your team to rethink the previous success formulas? Serene, this well, multiple times yeah, in these last 23, four years. Um, there are distinct miles, miles, there were distinct milestones. So let me go back in my memory. I think one of the biggest milestones was um, in the automotive industry, especially when you are coming from a German automotive background, um, was the realization that the world is going global and there is no alternative to China. This was in the 90s where we realized um, China is a Tina. Tina means there is no alternative. So China. Second milestone for us in, in my business was the realization that technology is going in another direction. And this was not until, let's say, 10 years ago when we realized that we have to change our product portfolio towards different towards different applications and towards different functions in the car. So we saw on the horizon that uh, driver assist systems are coming, for example. So you can only have mechanical parts. You need to be able to, to have mechatronic parts. That was a big shift. And that's when we started cooperating with other companies that brought this to us and we even bought companies. The third, the really third big, big milestone was when my company acquired uh, another American-based company um, that brought to the portfolio what we needed in order to be successful in an automated world with uh, automated driving in a world where we need sensors, where we need central computing. That's something we bought and um, there was another decisive moment really decisive moment. This was the IAA 2019, the Automotive Show 2019. That will be remembered also from my perspective as a moment when the tides turned. On that show, everybody realized that electrification is coming. There were a lot of debates in this industry. Will there be electrification? Yes, no, hybrids, back and forth. At that show, the name of the game was electrification, not only from the industry itself, but especially from regulators and government. And that show will be remembered for me personally, the tide turned when the shift to electrification was, was done. And this year, beginning of this year was another important milestone. Then when most of the big OEMs announced that they will change their car architecture, their electronics and software car architecture, towards a central computer. And that means really we are now putting computers on wheels and that spun off a diff different corporations. You might remember NVIDIA cooperating with, with Daimler and others. So this was the moment beginning of this year when major OEMs announced changing their central electronics and uh, software architecture towards a central unit. That is the, was the moment when we really um, changed the way we will operate and build vehicles in the future. So quite important. Why should companies rethink how they could reinvent? And in your opinion, what is stopping companies from rethinking their past success formula? 
Well, that's a good question, Serene. Um, I think it's two points. First of all, think about it. We had 10 years plus of growth after the financial crisis in 2008. There's an entire management generation that knows only one way. That's up, that's growth. It's like having an army that has not gone to battle or trained under real conditions for 10 years. And second, we, especially big corporations, are somehow stuck in some form of expectation and KPI management. I've seen this because when the going gets tough, the few narrows and the few narrows towards KPIs and efficiencies and to manage expectations and messages towards your shareholders and towards other big stakeholders. And the majority of, of us in these corporations, and I include myself, we are focusing on KPI improvements and efficiency. So in other words, we tend to work in the company and not at the company. And I think this is a significant difference because working at the company means how do I lead a company through these times of crisis and position it successfully for the next 10 years, not the next three years, not the next five years. And another thought uh, that crossed my mind answering this question was, look at the size big corporations have reached these days. I read the other day, 70 out of 100 economic organizations of the biggest economic organizations of the world are companies now. They are so big, they have reached size and, and uh, the complexity of countries. And of course, um, that means also some of them have created administrative structures like countries, which um, is leading to a situation which does not help us really to react quickly on crisis. But I think we need both. We need both. To reposition a company for the next 10 years in, in this situation, you need leadership and management. And I love to quote one officer, um, I think it was a German officer who said, management without leadership is without, management without leadership is without direction. Leadership without management is without effect. And uh, that is something we really have to keep in mind if we want to go forward these days. So Matthias, as a company grows and like what you have witnessed, so does its layers of hierarchies and complexity of the organization chart. Do you agree that this impacts their speed of decision making? And now that you have been in both, how does the speed of decision making differ in huge organizations compared to mid-sized organization or rather an organization that is on the scale of growth? The answer is yes and no. <laughs> and, I'm not take, and I'm not taking the easy way out here. I, I, I personally am deeply convinced it's yes and no. Why? Yes, growth impacts the speed of decision making. There's no doubt because with size comes complexity. And to manage complexity, you need structures. And you need a basis to make decisions how to run the company. However, now comes a distinct difference that separates companies that maintain nimble and fast and companies that become slow and that have to live with the burden of size. There's a difference in leadership culture. There is the one company that chooses in a scenario like this, the command and control approach. Mm -hmm. And there's another company that maybe 
chooses the path of trust and empowerment. And I cannot highlight enough the element of trust from my experience. It's such an important crossroad at any company's life when you grow. How important is the element of trust? Maybe you remember the pyramids um, of leadership. There was a pyramid with first layer says trust. An organization that trusts its employee or an organization that does not trust its employee. This will significantly determine how conflict how is dealt with in an organization. Where there's trust, you can have an open conflict. Where there's an absence of trust, there's artificial harmony. Remember these organizations or meetings where you know exactly that this group is not aligned, but it's artificial harmony. Right. Where there's, yeah. where, where there's trust and there's open conflict where you can speak your mind, commitment is much easier to be reached. Or in another organization, there's a lack of commitment. It's ambiguity. You say, yeah, yeah, but you don't mind it. You really don't mean it because you are walking on eggshells. I don't want to make a mistake. And where there's commitment, there's accountability. On the one company, in the other company, there's an avoidance of accountability, which leads to low standards. And then we have to look at the very top of these organizations. The first organizations where trust is the foundation is very often focused on results. It's a result-driven organization. You can speak your mind. And on the other side, there are organizations where at the top is an ego issue, where people do things for an ego. So the answer from my perspective to your question is yes and no. You can keep and maintain speed if you choose the right cultural approach and if you choose the right leadership approach. Depending on the model, you are more or less successful. There is no recipe. And it depends, from my perspective, on the top depends on the very person on the top and it depends on the board what way to choose and i tell you i've seen companies going south by changing the model very fast from a trust or trust based organization to a kpi based organization that's a distinct difference in how to run a company or i used to say trust reduces complexity and trust reduces reporting and keeps you fast my five cents to this question. I think um, I have this impression that in large corporations, an idea could often be heavily analyzed and debated by various functions or experts, so much so that sometimes the idea stays as an idea with no decision to proceed. In a smaller setup, say for instance, in founder-based companies or in startup, it could be the opposite. The founder's idea is the absolute decision acted upon quickly, perhaps with not much pushback or critical feedback. Again, this is, uh, this is my thinking, you can challenge me. But I know you have worked in both types of organizations. And how can we find a balance in your opinion between critical feedback analysis and quick action for optimal collective decision making? Well, Serene, if I had that recipe, I would write a best-selling book <laughs> because, <laughs> because it would help thousands of companies out there to, to, to be faster, to be more nimble and, and to make good decisions. But again, from my experience, there are two poles here um, and two extremes. On the one hand side, there is a big corporation that you could maybe call organized procrastination or administration and on the other hand side there is this 
owner or founder dominated company that is almost organized like the military. And there are a lot of shades of gray in between. But there are three commonalities from my perspective, if you, if you look at that question. First, any of these organizations need, in order to come to a speedy decision, making a good decision, need a common understanding where we are, where they are. In terms of situational awareness, are we in a crisis mode or are we in a growth mode? Are we in a linear world where we have incremental improvements on our technology or is it an exponential world? So an honest situation, determination of your situation is absolutely key. And um, I, from my experience, can see or can observe that mid-sized companies are more honest towards themselves in this question than big corporations, since big corporations have many more stakeholders. And some of the answers you might give might disappoint the street, the investors. So the ability to honestly and brutally assess your situation is number one. Number two, are we running after the same goals? I've seen so many times in, in my professional life that we had no common understanding on the goals. And an alignment on the goals, no matter how big the company is, is so important. And again, here, owner companies or companies with a family background tend to have clearer goals for a reason because we are spending you are spending their money and there's one currency in a private company that's really private and owned by an individual it is their money you are not spending opm other people's money you're spending their money and therefore the goal is relatively clear it is to protect the assets to grow the company to reposition it whereas in big corporations there's sometimes a tendency also to optimize egos to optimize um, numbers, KPIs, because you have to report to the street, you, uh, there are contract extensions at stake, etc., etc. It's much more complex and unfortunately, big corporations tend to be more political than owner-owned um, companies and, and family-owned companies. Third, there needs to be clear understanding how to reach these goals. And I'm coming back to this cultural question. I know I'm beating this trust and culture argument a lot here but there are two ways to reach goals in organizations at all cost number one so the goal is paramount and you reach it at all cost and at all cost meaning i mean also at the cost of culture at the cost of employees at the cost of uh, good working together or you reach it as a team you reach it together and um, that's a distinct difference in how a company will in the future be successful. I think the next generations we are looking at, yesterday I was reading an article in a German business newspapers. They asked 2000 students in Germany, 26% of those students said they would like to become civil servants and work for government. 26%, Serene, can you imagine? I mean, wow. why do they want to become civil servants? Because they want to have a secure environment they want to have a secure setting. They want to have a different working life than generations before us. And to attract this talent pool, we have to come up with different answers than we had in the past. So it's no longer the typical incentives we were giving. It is an environment 
it is a place where people like to go. And therefore, I really think it is important how you reach goals, not only that you reach them. So at the end of the day, what is the distinct difference between these two types of organizations, owner-led, family business, and um, big corporations? There's, at the end, the old rule applies. Um, the old rule says, in any organization who has the gold calls the shots. So no matter who, you can then decide in which culture you want to live. But from my perspective, there is no golden rule. There is no secret bullet. Quick decision-making, nimbleness depends on the culture the company is living. And that is a lot set by the top. Talking about the non-linear world, we are living now, there are so many dynamics in the world right now, unforeseen pandemic this year, trade protection, etc. But since you have a background in the automotive industry, I will take the example of the EU Green Deal. What is it and what are the characteristics a company needs to have in response to create a win-win from the EU Green Deal? Ah, oh, Serene, now you're talking to the automotive guy in me. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, the EU Green Deal, there are two ways to approach it. You can fight it. You can put your lobbyists into position and in trying to influence um, texts and uh, government decisions or EU decisions, or you can take it as a decision of, of uh, the EU and um, use it in order to rethink how you positioned yourself in this business. And it is a political decision and we have to accept it. That's my personal view. I'm expressing my personal view now. Even if engineers could debate now forever with you and me about the efficiency of diesel and different powertrain concepts, it is a political decision to reduce the CO2 emission. And personally, I think this is a good decision because it will drive innovation. How to win in this scenario is the only way to win in this scenario is to stop fighting it, but to get before the wave. And getting before the wave means rethinking your complete business model in a world where not EBIT and a growth story is the measure for Wall Street or for any other investor. It's a world in which CO2 is the new oil, the new currency, a world in which sustainability will influence where people invest. For example, I, I didn't know that. I, I saw it the other day in a newspaper. $20 trillion are invested in products that meet the ESG standards, the environmental, social, and governing governance standards. So $20 trillion are invested in, in companies and, and assets that meet these standards. Um, the money is shifting in other directions. So to win, you have to be part of this ESG um, portfolio and for me from my perspective as an automotive guy huh, some companies especially one big German European OEM and I'm not doing any advertising now they recognize that the tide has turned and about two years ago they put everything on one card and said e-mobility is the future and uh, many industry experts said it's crazy that is totally dreaming they're dreaming but two years later um, we realized that they took the right decision because the eu green deal marks 
Marx really we will go back and say this was the, this was the year and this was the time when the future of mobility really changed. So being ahead of the wave is the only way to deal with it. Matthias, what advice will you give to corporate leaders who see a need to rethink their strategies but currently have no one else on board with them? Maybe everyone else is thinking that they are fine. My piece of advice is danger. There's danger in the comfort zone. If nobody around you realizes what you see, either you're completely wrong, which I would doubt, um, or there's danger in the comfort zone. They haven't understood that the turn has tied, the tide has turned, excuse me. Um, and very often, very successful companies have that phenomenon because success is a very sweet poison, makes you sleepy. My advice to those leaders out there who have a management team like this is, to wake them up. And there is no better voice from my perspective to, than to bring in an outside in view, um, to look beyond our soup dish in which we are, into which we are staring every day, bring outside in perspectives from totally different walks and industries. And if this doesn't help, change your team. There's a German saying, you cannot carry dogs hunting. If your dogs don't hunt and they don't recognize this is the new world, you need to have different dogs. Thank you, Matthias, for joining us and sharing your insights. For listeners who would like to connect with you, how can they reach out? Uh, thank you, Sarin, for having me this morning. Um, the listeners that are interested in getting in touch with me can reach me via LinkedIn. I think this is the best and most convenient. Fantastic. Thank you, Matthias. Really happy to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you. And have a nice day, Serene. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Inspiring Leadership, produced by Serene Zheng and Victor Ertl, with support from our friends in the STAR program. We hope to have you listening in to us again in 2021 as we take a short year-end break. We will also take the opportunity to wish all of our listeners season's greetings and happy holidays. Until then, stay well and stay inspired. Mm -hmm.